I'm EJ Ionelli, and this is From the Studio. And Mateusz Wolski is back with us in the studio this morning, ahead of the Spokane String Quartet's concert this weekend. So welcome back, Mateusz. Good morning. <laughs> um, we were talking just before we went on air about this concert and a theme that it might be taking on, because I know that when you last came in, it was the French concert, and I put that in kind of quotes, yes. and that had pieces by Foray and Ravel. And we were talking about the, the theme of this concert and it's one that's almost kind of been retroactively applied due to circumstances, no? Yes, it, it has been. You know, I mean, sometimes when you when you plan programs, you're trying to have the big idea. And sometimes you just do a program, it's like, you know, there are some pieces that are just awesome to play. So I think this this one of those concerts was like, this is a great piece of music. Oh, this is a great piece of music. Then we have, oh, we have a Black History Month. We have a wonderful excuse to find a, a, a prolific black composer and, and feature her work on the program. Awesome. Yeah, let's do this. You know, let's. Uh, and yes, yeah, so what I would like to share with the audience is some of them might be aware that follow the our musical community that uh, husband of our one of our quartet members, Helen Byrne, uh, Leonard Byrne, who was a principal tuba in the Spokane Symphony, has just recently passed away. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very challenging circumstances when you're trying to, you know, do your work as a musician and, and have a friend that it has been taken away from you prematurely. So uh, in a way, uh, one of the pieces on the program is uh, Mendelssohn's String Quartet, who he wrote as his, I think his last composition before he died, and that piece was inspired by the death of his dear sister, Fanny. And, you know, and it's sort of like, uh, we didn't plan it, but this concert will be dedicated to Leonard Byrne, Helen's husband. She's not playing on it. Uh, obviously, we have a wonderful substitute cellist, John Michelle, coming from a Central uh, Washington University. Uh, so that's a whole other story <laughs> about how navigating through that, and then and we'll be playing the Mendelssohn. I think very fittingly the last piece on the program as a tribute to Leonard. Yeah, and I'd like to talk about how you came into contact with John and mm -hmm. how you engaged him for this. But I did want to talk about this Mendelssohn piece. This is his string quartet number six, and it is a, a requiem for Fanny. And right from the outset, there is just this incredible anguish that you feel in mm -hmm. this string quartet. Um, and I wondered if you could kind of take us through some of the emotions and some of the ways that Mendelssohn processed this grief through his music. See, you know, what What I find with Mendelssohn's writing, you know, everybody, uh, number one, I think he's already as a, as, a, as a young composer, he's incredibly mature as a, as a human being, you know. I mean, you play his compositions that he wrote when he was 16 or, or something, and it's the way it feels to play. Uh, his craft of writing, his, his sense for, for how to write well for the instruments. It's amazing. So, you know, so he's in a way an old soul. And then, of course, I don't know if if, if in heaven, uh, you know, they did the calculation and the, therefore because he's so mature and he's so young, therefore we, we're going to cut his life short. You know, so, so, so his composition, I think, is in this particular quartet has tremendous amount of depth in writing. It's still the, the Mendelssohn that we love, you know, being very virtuosic and, and demanding on pretty much everybody. But... As usual, uh, with his pieces, it's the first violin gets the the lion's share of of, of the, the sort of virtuosic activity, and you know, and I th I don't find the piece tragic. I think there are, there are, there are, there's elements that are re retrospective, 
but there's also typical cheerful uh, Mendelssohn and, and virtuosic and uh, full of energy. So so I think he he is expressing what he wants to express. But yet on the other hand, he also does the I want to write an exciting music that the audiences are going to to love. So if you didn't know the context when he's writing, you might have not actually even notice the anguish sometimes. I think his slow movement is, is particularly for me touching with the the way he way he writes it where oh, you play that and it's like, oh that's what it is. You know? <laughs> uh and then there's also, you know, his um I think in in his scherzo there is element of anger. You know, it's like if you look at the classical music that rocks, if you look up a playlist, he the the, the movement from that Mendelssohn Quartet is going to to show up as the one of the most rocking, uh, <laughs> feeling uh, classical music pieces. So, so it's it's very interesting because I think that's where he's actually expressing his anger and frustration, and therefore it rock and rolls. So, you know, <laughs> I think you know. Yeah, I had seen in a, an online discussion where people were kind of talking about the merits of of this piece, and one person just said very succinctly, "The whole world is contained in this quartet." True. Yeah. And then we have the Florence Price, which is, I don't know if it's the centerpiece of this concert, but it's certainly a piece worth noticing um, or taking note of because Price herself had um, a very difficult and a very interesting life and had to deal with both sexism or gender bias and and racial bias Mm -hmm. and had to overcome those just to get her music performed in the first place. Mm -hmm. But there's this piece that is extremely rich this is her string quartet number one in g major mm-hmm. and it's rich and it's uh, it's also i found it just a little heavy uh would you agree yes and no <laughs> <laughs> see i think her writing is in some ways it's 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 quite transparent so you know like if you compare what beethoven would do you know or brahms they 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 write the textures that are that are sort of thick and 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 and, and very very rich and vibrant, but busy. With her, she carries the lines in sort of like a, a more transparent way, and sort of the trading between the instruments is is more fluid. Mm. You know, it's almost like you can you can feel that it's 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 sensitive and in a feminine nature. If if there's such a thing that you know we could we could say today, you know. But I think. Yeah, it definitely feels different. You know, it's a similar situation where you would play Fanny Mendelssohn music. There, there is a that, that touch that that is just a little bit than your typical male composer that I'm just going to <laughs> to to make a make a hit. And I think that makes it incredibly special. You know, um, to me, the more I learn about her life, the more interesting her music gets, because you're starting to to discover as, as you're trying to interpret and play it. Like yeah, the the uphill battles that she had to uh, have all her life, and you know, and she's one of the incredibly gifted people that you know. If if she was a if she was a dude, I mean, she would be one of the most prolific American composers. But because she's she's a black female composer, you know, she she has to stay home and raise kids and abandon her whole career because her husband is a dentist, you know, and. Uh, you know, things like that, and that, that's a period when all of a sudden she's almost not writing music when she has young children. Something that quite often we, you know, in our society today, everybody has to have the career and stuff. There's no time for it. And I know, you know, my wife being a very successful professional is the same thing. You know, it's like, how do you balance those things? 
so I sense this in in her writing in her music. There is there is again depth depth of understanding of uh, of of human condition of trying to be a mother and and be a creative and and it's and it's fascinating. It very much resonates with me, kind of getting a peek into into somebody else's soul in a way because I think music really captures the things that we not necessarily can verbalize but we we feel. Yeah, and um, the quality that I described is heavy. I was thinking and, and kind of reevaluating that, and I think it's more of a density because yeah. it is uh, it is so instrumentally rich, and she really teases out. I mean, you have four instruments, and yet you're teasing out such strong lines in mm-hmm. all of them and invoking all of them. So, yeah, for someone who hasn't heard this piece or is unfamiliar with this piece, how would you describe it? What are some of the emotional textures in it, and what is she doing? Because I think you mentioned that her her markings were fairly sparse so she gives the musicians incredible freedom in how they interpret this yes so you know so it's it's really interesting uh, when you deal with different composers there's some composers like i don't know you let's say strauss who is going to mark every note exactly <laughs> how he wants you to play it so i mean he puts you in a box and it's like you have to put an accent on this note and get louder here get softer here and it's you know it's incredibly busy writing with tremendous amount of information on the page so one page of Strauss's music when you're trying to learn it I mean it can take months and there are composers that have a beautiful musical ideas but they understand that the performer is is a huge part of bringing that music to life and they give you freedom. They will tell you this is what is important. And you know, and, and I work with living composers, and it's the same thing like with personalities. It's like I want you to get the essence of what I'm trying to say, but the way you're going to express it, I think is going to be to will come. It will come more alive if there's a bunch of your own ideas of how to how do you see my music, you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 I feel that in her writing, and maybe it's because of her struggle for freedom. She totally gets this whole concept of freedom for musicians to to give you just enough information to represent what she wants you to tell, say with her music, but just also enough freedom that you can make it your own. And that's what makes it, I think, very enjoyable to to play because, you know, it's, like, it's just like the uh, same thing with actors when you talk with them. You know, if you have an overbearing director that tells you exactly what, you know, down to a, to a minute detail how you're supposed to smile to just be this person and and that's what what Florence Price does I think in the in this quartet so so I, f- I find it actually very inspiring to play and given it all the backstory of her life you know it's it's a it's a gem that I'm really glad I, I I've been able to to find and then present to the audience because you know composers quite often get get locked away and put in a in a, their music puts in a library and then we just play you know, five bits, best hits, and we never we forget <laughs> about some people that did put their touch on the world, and and I am really glad that there is a resurgence these days of trying to find uh, people who are underrepresented. And uh, do you find too? I, I mean, it's not uncommon for black composers to bring in uh, spirituals and African American folk songs into their work and incorporate it and really honor. Um, that legacy of struggle mm-hmm. and um, yeah, that that ancestral legacy. Does Price also do that in this? Like, are there distinct moments where we're going to be able to hear those echoes of? of you know, that? To, to be quite honest, not. Mm-hmm. It's really not. I mean, um, you know, if 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 you listen to the piece again, you would 
you would have a very, very hard time putting your finger on like who wrote this. Yeah, yeah. You know, no. I mean, she, she, she has. You know, I mean, she, she writes like uh, it's almost. I mean, it. it uh, you know, she writes in in a very romantic tradition. I think in, in a way. Uh, but it's like to me, it's see you say heavier <laughs> to me from 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 the way I look at the lines and the music. I, for me, it's actually the writing seems lighter. Mm. Um, it's it's almost like it, it's almost has like a lightness of of Mendelssohn in some uh, some ways. So yeah, I mean it's it's really really interesting because if you if you are a student in university and somebody d- does the drop the needle test, it's like <laughs> who is this composer? I mean this is like a perfect trap. To, to, to fail everybody because because unless you know the the the, the music uh, you just yeah it will be very hard to guess so so it's, I mean it's again it's very 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 interesting how how she writes because I I cannot just box her in mm-hmm. and and I think that's that's what is wonderful I think there is you know freedom that's how I would have to de- de- describe her writing in that piece. And not everybody who attends the Spokane String Quartet concerts, or indeed any concert, is a musician themselves. You know, they're not string players. They might not be steeped in classical music. So I'd like to zero in on the violin part in the Price piece and talk about what an audience member who might or might not be familiar with the classical canon, what should they be listening for? What are some interesting bits that you as a violinist find fulfilling or challenging or uh, interesting? You know, so there is a... To me, there's, there's always ongoing discussion with with friends when we analyze the composers, mm-hmm. because we actually sometimes do it. Like, why is this composer so good, or why is this composer? And I I find that personally, I distinguish the writing into like two main categories. That's why I want to play it. There is some music that that sings, and there is some music that dances. You know, and when those elements are are present in the writing, I feel like it just really connects to to my heart. Because I, you know, if you feel like you listen to something and there is a groove to it, and your, your, your sort of your leg starts bouncing and you cannot resist it, just sort of feel the beat. I think that is very important. So great, great writing, especially by modern composer, when somebody has a groove, you know, and and they break the pattern all of a sudden because uh, it's, it's newer music, that can connect. Same thing if you write a beautiful line that just soars, and that's what Florence Prasad does in this this piece. She. She she sings or, or she writes the singing melodies that have beautiful harmonies to them. That really you know that sort of really connects with the heart. The f- thing that I always try to stay away and we have d- debates and discussions is when the writing gets very intellectual, mm. you know, and it almost feels like a I'm just going to drop a bunch of notes on the on the paper, see where they land, and therefore I'm going to write the piece. To me, then you're showing your your craftsmanship of the composer and counterpoint something but it's just dry and doesn't connect to the to the heart it, it might be connecting to your intellect but not to the heart and with Florence Price writing I feel she's connecting to the heart and she makes her music sing and and she's looking for beauty you know in spite of all, all the challenges uh, and 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 that's one of the reasons why I always feel incredibly fortunate being a musician because most of the good music is the is written by people who search for the beauty of human condition, trying to find a ways to, how to describe love, how to describe true feelings. Or when you you know when you experience loss, you're going to express it. Sometimes there might be a hint of anger, but most of the not, 
there there is always almost always element of hope and the and and the soothing quality of music even in the in the toughest of the circumstances so i'm very fortunate because i just get to experience beauty pretty much every day when i when i play play an instrument and it, it's and and it's because of people trying to express beauty through through a medium which is music and i love that the conversation has taken this turn and you know this distinction between singing and dancing because i think that moves us nicely into the beethoven Ooh, look at and that. <laughs> whether or not you know is he a singer is he a dancer and also you know as he's composing the the string quartets and his this chamber music he's making a break from haydn and mozart um, mm-hmm. and so there is a little bit of a an, a musical exercise in this as you're trying to uh, you know exercise those muscles and and break from tradition yes you know, what do we have with the, it's the Beethoven string quartet in B-flat major, opus 18, number six. So what do we have in this? Is it is it a singer or a dancer? Ha, so, see, Beethoven, <laughs> Beethoven is such a fascinating character because, you know, he is, what is fascinating about him, he's incredible craftsman who is agonizing to death about detail. When he's writing, you, lo- you look at his manuscripts. I mean, you can, you can see, I mean, he's like, 180 degrees away from Mozart. You look at the Mozart, uh, Mozart's writing, and pretty much there's like no corrections. Everything is just <laughs> beautifully laid out, and uh, it's just you know he goes through his process in his head, dumps it on the page, that with ease it's done, and and he goes on to do the next thing. And with Beethoven, you have this writing, then you have a scratch this out, then cross this out big, and you can see anger in his and frustration. Like this, that didn't come out right. Then all of a sudden, he has a musical idea. He's running out of paper, so he's going to add several lines of music just to squeeze it on this one piece of paper. So there's there's this. Uh, he's definitely one of those people that it's, it's it's just really working very hard to to give you the best of what he can offer. And and again, because today, because we can look at the manuscripts and so on and so forth, you, you you sort of you can sense it. Now, what, but then when you when you come actually to the finished product, if you've never seen all of the of the sort of the messy process of coming out with this, what you find is that he has pretty much always great musical ideas, and sometimes they are not very conventional. You know, I mean, if you think about musical theme that goes pa 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 pa, it's so simple, but it's so powerful. So he has a gift for finding a something that it might not necessarily be a melody. Uh, it's just sort of like, it's almost like a rhythmical groove that might have, you know, an interval or two. And then he can develop it like pretty much better than anybody else to, to morph it and, and use it as an excuse to then take you on a journey, you know, through rhythms, through modulations, and then, and then make it feel incredibly organic. But one of the things that actually I find the, probably the most challenging and charming about this particular quartet is is actually uh, his scherzo movement because you know we're rehearsing it and it's written in three four which means that you know typically when you have a beat uh, when we have music written in three four you feel it one two three one two three kind of like a waltz right but the way he writes it when you look at this it looks like it's written in six eight which is six eight feels one two three four five six one two three four five six so you have a feeling of two right and then you know i always i always joke about this that um what when, when we are trying to play it i was like guys uh, you know i i feel this bit th- th- this part of the the scherzo in 
in 6-8 and this pawn in 3-4. So it's a little bit like uh, Bernstein's, I like to be in America. You know, it's, it's exactly the same thing. But Beethoven does it like uh, uh, way, way earlier than Bernstein. <laughs> you know, so like, if, you, if, you listen to that, uh, if you listen to that scherzo, that's exactly what it is because he keeps shifting. And I think he's, he, he's known, for example, so, so his music is this whole experimentation, I think, with the grooves and making you feel how the beat shifts. So you know, so he, we could we could we could say that he's a father of hip hop. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I mean, it's 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 really really fascinating because I you can see that, and you see uh, uh, earlier I said I don't really like like the composers that that just explore the intellectual ideas. See, Beethoven is one of those those guys that it's really marrying also the concept of being beautiful, singing, dancing, but also like clever. And 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 quite often uh, for us, there's tremendous amount of inside jokes, where the way he writes things, you can see that he's trying to make the audience feel. Here's the bit. Here's the bit. Oh no, it, it's absolutely <laughs> not in this place. The bit is actually here, and and he does it in such a way that um, that is very entertaining. You know, so it's entertaining to play, and I think the, for the audience, it's very entertaining to listen, and then when you start to explore it, as a, if you want to be an informed audience member, it's like, hey, I really would like to get. You know why the Beethoven is so great, and you start to look at this and analyze it, and you and you just under start to understand that all that struggle is because he, I think he's he wants to add as many layers into his music that are accessible on the surface, as well as if you take an absolute deep analytical dive, and you just discover it's like my God, this is absolutely brilliant, you know, like oh. What else is there? Uh, and, and, you know, that's a rabbit hole that uh, if you become a Beethoven aficionado, I mean, uh, you have 10 years of studying, of uh, trying to figure out why his music is brilliant, and you're just barely scratching the surface. <laughs> and as we talked about at the outset, this uh, concert is being dedicated to Leonard Byrne, and Leonard's wife, Helen, is a longtime Spokane String Quartet member and has obviously, for, or for obvious reasons, stepped aside. And so you've enlisted John Michel, to come in and perform cello. How did this come about? And you know, with a quartet like yours, you have to have a certain uh, innate understanding of one another, that dynamic has to be tightly honed, and then you have someone coming in who doesn't regularly perform with the Spokane String Quartet. So how is that working out? So I would say, I mean, it's working out beautifully, luckily. You know, you never know what's going to happen. But actually, uh, Amanda Howard Phillips, our second violinist, she, has a, she had a connection with, I believe, uh, actually John's wife, Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, and we are aware, sort of, in our musical community, who are the who are the great players in the area, you know. And um, and when Helen, because Leonard, uh, her husband, I mean, his his health was failing, so so Helen had a foresight of knowing that things might not be easy for her. Uh, you know, she made decision uh, telling us, you know, several months ago, it's like, guys, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to play this concert. Probably not the next one as well. Let, let's look at who who could we invite to play, you know. And uh, it's it's always a tricky thing, you know. Who do you, who are you going to ask to play with the group? And um, and John names na- name popped out as a as a person that we should definitely play music with because he's he's considered one of the wonderful cellists in this area. And geographically, he's far because you know several hour drive. But it's close enough that it's not like somebody coming from LA or, you know, or even Seattle. So 
we made the arrangements uh, for him to jo- to join us, and then of course there's the, the whole thing. He has a full time teaching job that doesn't fit with our regular schedule. So how are we going to do this? Because you know normally the string quartet when we are getting ready for our concerts, you know we have regular rehearsals for six eight weeks leading up to the performance, and uh, you know and then therefore we can we feel like we are prepared and we can deliver or give the composers justice. So with John, I mean, we don't have that. What do you do? Well, all of a sudden, it turns out we move to sort of like a summer festival mode, which is, hey, John, can you come over a weekend and we're going to do marathon rehearsal? So John says, okay, I'll bring some coffee. You know, he he, he, he brings some uh, exotic coffee. I have a coffee machine. We're going to do coffee tasting in between, have a break for lunch, uh, have a good chat. But then rather than having the, the sort of slow burn, you know, sort of slow cooker, uh, the way how you how you cook. This is like all right. This is the instant pot pressure. Yeah, this is the, yeah, this is yeah. But you know, so 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 it's very condensed. So in a way, you know, there's a lot of preparation on our own own uh, side to to make sure that we know our notes, because we know the um, you know we're not going to have as much time as possible, which in, in a way makes them more efficient because you know we know each other so well. So I I find like quite often our Quartet rehearsals are like therapy session. You know, we end up catching up and talking about everything that goes in our lives because, because we, before we start playing. So, you know, a two and a half hour rehearsal turns into an hour and 50 because we've been blabbing way too much. With John, you know, he comes in and is like, okay, we'll try it at lunch. Let's go. Chop, chop. Yeah, no, I got to get the job done. But but again, it reminds me very much of this sort of atmosphere that I experienced when I was young. You go to a summer festival and, you know, it's, the whole day is you just like a rehearsing. It's like a few hours here and then you go on with your life. No, it's like it's incredibly intense and you're steeped in the music and you forget about eating and you forget about anything else. You're just you're just in the process. So in a way for me that it's very enjoyable because it feels like a throwback to this kind of times. So yeah, so we had a couple of sessions like that and then uh, John is coming and our whole, whole Saturday is going to be filled, so I guess it's tomorrow. Yeah, with that kind of work, and and it's been working wonderfully because, again, you never know what what you're going to get. I mean, people have a reputation that oh, you know, this is a great player, but unless you actually play with them, you know, it's a little bit like going on a date. Everybody says, you know, this is a really nice person, but until you spend some time with them, you don't know. And but in this in this particular case, all the reviews were were absolutely justified because he's a wonderful musician, super easy to work with. And you know, with some people, you feel like you have to sort of be very diplomatic. Uh, you know, th- you feel that they're not doing something the way you would like them to do. So you're like, you know, would you possibly consider doing this a slightly um, with more finesse? Or you can, or you can say it's like, you know, dude, you're early on this downbeat. And and with John, I mean, after five minutes, we're cracking jo- jokes, and and I can say, ah, oh, you know, can can you place that be a little little sooner, and then he can dish it right back up. It's like no matter, you know, can you can you stop playing sharp on that note? I'm like, all right, you know, we, you know, so it's, it's great because you know you have professionals that sit down, and and there is no like artificial barriers. You just you just play music, you you get the job done, and it's fun. Well, Matej, thank you so much for coming in this morning and talking about this concert. It's really appreciated. Oh, thank you very much for having me. And uh, I hope everybody stays well. It looks like it's getting warmer. So, yeah. Please, no more ice.
I've been speaking this morning with Mateusz Wolski about this weekend's Spokane String Quartet concert. The concert takes place on Sunday, January 28th at the Bing Crosby Theater. And for tickets or more information, you can visit spokanestringquartet.org or bingcrosbytheater.com.